0: Welcome to TSF Life, a podcast ministry of the Shepherd's Fellowship Church in Marion, Ohio. TSF Life is designed to bring you biblical teaching in a relational way that's easy to apply to your life. Let's join Pastor Tom Hypes as we dive into today's teaching.
1: Now, before I get to this, we got to go through this again, right? So we've been uh, in the life of Jesus. We spent about almost two years, uh, 18 months, on the life of Jesus, we've now switched over to how to be like Jesus, what discipleship is, how, what it looks like, um, and we're basing that off of a model that Dan Spader came up with that is called the Four Chairs. So, I'm not going to do it every week, but we're going to do it again this week. I want to make sure we're getting it. What's the first chair? Come and see. Nobody sounded enthusiastic. Everybody was just like, I'm not sure. Come on, Heather, you got it. So come and see. That's the, that's the loss. That's the secret. That's the invitation to come and see what Christ is all about. Then when someone accepts Jesus as leader and in their life by acknowledging with their mouth he's the son of God, believing in the heart he died and rose again, then they move to chair two, which is? Follow me. Follow me. And this is generally in comparison to, from a physical growth standpoint, more of a child or a toddler. This is when we first accept Christ, we're learning. Uh, We still have an opportunity for evangelism because you still have your testimony, that you can tell people what he's done in your life. And and many people, they come to Jesus long after they understood the Bible. So a lot of people have things that they can share within this, but this is mostly about learning how to walk Learning how to not be pooping your diaper, learning how to take and not be spitting up on people, that type of thing. This is the safe place to, to mess up and you're growing, right? And then as you partner with God, you learn yourself about, about yourself in God. You move to tier three, which is? Fishers of men. <laughs> Nicole, you're looking at your notes. You? I know. It's, it is open book. You're fine. Uh, but the third one is now we're starting to mature. We're getting more like our late teens, early 20s. Uh, And uh, so we're starting to be able to use those things and be able to take those things that we're responsible for because God's invested into us to start going back to chair one or chair two to be able to encourage people. But a big focus of this is evangelism. What God has done for me is not just for me. It is, I'm trusted with that to share that with the world. And as I start getting past just myself and realizing what God can do that is far behind Tom, we move to chair four which is Go and bear fruit. Now you're getting to the point that you have been leading people to the Lord through your testimony, through the gospel, through your example, so that they could have a reason to believe you in the first place. And you're at a place where those people are coming to the Lord, we're moving through the Great Commission and leading them to the Lord, baptizing them, and then teaching each other to obey everything that he's commanded of us. In other words, we're still evangelizing, we're still growing, but because we're further down the road, we are now starting to disciple those that are behind us. What are you laughing at, Kathy? You know this isn't TV right? (laughs) What are you giggling about? You don't want to say, okay. Huh? Just say cats? Yeah. Kitties. What do you think I said? This is too good now.
2: (laughs) Going barefoot. So I had to look it up to find out what was it.
1: Chris, is there anything in the area of hospice that helps this? <laughs> that's the question. Holy cow. So with that, with that, so that, that's the focus we're on. You guys have been going through your workbook, so you should be. Dan Spader workbook on being a disciple. And this week you got to look a lot more at what uh, the, the life of Christ, the embassy of Christ was with. Uh, and then on Sunday mornings, we're looking a little bit more on how to disciple, or how to go in our discipleship. So before I get into my babblings, we're doing the testimonies again. We're going to encourage each other by what you found this week. And Strine, you already said you're up. She told me this week she had something. So, but Stein's not the only one. Uncomfortable silence until somebody becomes number two. But anything that stood out to you from the book, from the Bible study, Or even now, what you're seeing within the the process of things. So it's...
3: Thank you. So I think Amanda Burke had said it last week, too. I only did, like, two of them last week. And then before church, after worship and practice this morning, I went to Burger King, got breakfast, and did some more. So I'm still behind. I have two more of last week to do. But I'm catching up, so it's good. Um, But... uh, (laughs) Last Sunday, um, I think everybody knows my friend Allie from church that comes with me and her daughter Bexley and stuff. And uh, she was working on hers last Sunday. And I was like, yeah, I'm not doing well with working on this either. And so we got to talking and she was telling me what chair she thinks she's at and the struggle she has with it. Um, And I was like, yeah, my struggle is like, I know work is like the perfect mission field to like, work with people on this. Um, I think everybody pretty much knows I'm a counselor um, at an agency that does mental health and drug and alcohol. So they really need Jesus sometimes. But I'm like, I don't want to get fired. Like, my cat children need me to provide for them so many things. I'm thinking of them. It's not just me that needs the paycheck. They need the paycheck. I was thinking the bridge. I was like, hopefully they would come help me at the bridge. So with my cats, we'll live in a box. They'll be fine. Uh, (laughs) I have too much time. This is what I do instead of doing the book disciple. Anyhow. Um, But uh, I was like, I just, I don't want to get fired at work. And, you know, you got to watch at work and stuff and HR and ethics and yada, yada, yada. So uh, last Monday, I was getting ready for work. I was in the shower and I was like, all right, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray for each individual person in my group, because I do group five days a week in the morning. I'm like, I'm going to pray for each one and pray first and foremost. They stay sober and, you know, whatever else they're going through and just God use me and yada, yada, yada. So I get to work. I'm in my group and there's a younger client who was like, I went to church yesterday at this church and I felt like really welcomed and I felt, he used like three different words. I was like, they're so powerful, like blessed and risen in Christ or something. And I was like, this is amazing. Like, I didn't even have to do anything. He's just bringing it up. And then other people in the group are talking about it. Then somebody else's check-in was like, and Jesus is always with you, so you don't have to worry about that. I'm like, this is amazing. So I'm trying to hurry up in Teams chat alley. Like, what I told you last night, it's happening. Like, this is happening. I didn't have to do anything. Just pray. Um, so that was... Uh, just really cool. And I was like, okay, so you know, things and just being mindful of and stuff. I feel like that's what we talked about last week and then this week and everything. And so, yeah.
1: Thank you.
2: So I'll just stand here and talk. So um the
1: most
2: affection I've got in weeks. Yeah. <laughs> weeks. He's, he's not wrong. <laughs> Hi. Hi, baby. Um so I I want to like tell you guys where I'm at because a lot of people assume a pastor's wife is like brilliant and knowledgeable and very um disciple y and into devotions every single day and I'm not. So, I don't get this through osmosis or anything, so, um, but I just want to let you know, like, Wednesday night, we have community night, and Wednesday night, I've been, like, trying to figure out, like, what do we do with this group, because we have, what, three, three weeks to kind of fill, if you will, um, and so I thought, you know what, we have this workbook, and this guy doesn't do a workbook just because. I mean, if you think of the expense of these workbooks, look on the back of the cover of it and look at what those workbooks cost. The church and the pastor, the elders, believe in what this is. Enough that they're gonna buy these workbooks for everybody in the church.
1: 85 copies.
2: 85? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so a lot, okay? So they believe in this, and there's a reason why God is saying do this now. So to be honest, I I talked to the group on Wednesday night, and I, I told them like maybe Wednesday morning or something I put on Facebook said, hey, bring your workbook, bring your Bible. We're gonna have study hall. We're gonna have independent study, you can work in teams, whatever you want. Wednesday night, I said, guys, brutally honest, how are you guys doing on this? And I figured for sure, like, people were probably like, you know, halfway through the week or something like that, and said, guys, I've done one day. And this was on Wednesday, like we're supposed to be on week two <laughs> or something. And I'm just like, I've done one day. And so Wednesday night, um, We sat down, and there was probably 10 or 12 of us, and most of the people, they felt much more comfortable sitting down, doing it on their own, digging in, reading, doing the scriptures, you know, going through the process. I did the same thing, and if someone looked like they were struggling, come up, sit by me, let's go through this together. A couple people were going back and forth, doing the the Bible study together. It's fantastic. So more than anything, I want to encourage you, if you need a jump start, come on Wednesday night, and we'll dig into it together and um i mean i just love the fact that everything in that workbook is going through here's scriptures that tell you how jesus walks here's scriptures that tell us kind of how we're supposed to walk and by the way it's not only in john but it's also in matthew it's in mark and oh yeah isaiah like how cool is it that it's in many many places throughout the bible even prophetic of what christ was going to be like and what we're to be like so um i just don't want anybody to be frustrated if they're not having these fantastic stories and all of this, we have an intentional pause on Wednesday nights for at least the next two weeks to dig in and come join me. I I'm not ahead of the game. I'm struggling to get my homework done. <laughs> so so be a part of that. But there really is something in it for you if God is laying on their hearts to invest this much in all of us.
1: Thank you, Annie. Okay, let's dig in. If you guys want to go ahead and open up, we're going to John chapter 4 today. Um, As you know, as we've been going through this, we're looking at different aspects. Um, And last week we looked at Jesus's, in kind of one sitting, we saw several different ways that he addressed different people and a group of people. Uh, with different ways of answering the questions, whether it be a redirect to be able to get them where Christ really wanted them to look at, or whether it be something that was straightforward. uh, One was confrontational. Uh, The ones with the groups, we saw over and over again that even though he was talking group, he was very much motivated by the one, by whoever was in front of them. and that he, like, if he's talking group and he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you, it's not a place for you all, it's you, it's very individual. So we see the motivation of discipleship has to be the love for the individual um, as well. So this week we're going to kind of build on it a little bit by going into and looking at the power of uh, observational learning, observational learning, how Jesus used it, how. Uh, we can learn from it, and then also how we can use it as we disciple others in our lives as well. So in getting into this section, what I want to look at is in my studies, Dan um, Spare was talking about mission trips that Jesus took his apostles on and fishing trips, and not necessarily how we would define them, but like the mission trips being a longer lesson, uh, outside their comfort zone, many times multicultural. Uh, Fishing trips, yes, sometimes happened in a boat, sometimes happened in other areas. We're gonna see one in a synagogue, one in a home today where they were shorter in their natural environment but there was things that he wanted to teach them and for them to see that he didn't teach them necessarily with words. Um, and so we're going to look at that, those type of things today. We're not going to look at all the ones I was looking at this week, but we'll kind of highlight a few. And John chapter 4 is the first one that we're going to go across. Uh, with John chapter 4, we're going to find ourselves in kind of familiar territory. We went through this section uh, as we were going through the life of Jesus as well, but it's a story of Jesus uh, and the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. And this one would be more in the mission trip area things. He's going to Jerusalem. He tells them he must go through Samaria. Uh, Even though he had other options, he must go through Samaria. And they uh, come to this area, as you guys know well, Jacob's well. And uh, the the disciples, at this point, I think it was about five that that he had that we know by name as far as like Simon and um, Andrew and John James. And they go and get uh, food, and we're going to see that here in a second. But there's many things that when we've looked through it before, when we're looking from the scope of observing, that we're going to see just a little bit different, I think, today. So uh, we're going to pick up in verse 7. And then we'll just kind of read a little and talk a little as we go along. But verse 7 starts out with, A woman from Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. He forgot, Please. But I think he knew what he was doing. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. So make note of that. The disciples are not there at this point. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. See, again, the little John, John that we talked about those last week, that he's been teaching this for so many decades that he knows when people get confused or when something's funny. Uh, so he always has these little parentheses in there. Uh, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So then we get into the discussion that we're mostly familiar with, talking about the living water. Uh, Look at the method that's there, since we talked about methods last week. uh, He brings up a a statement that's a metaphor that engages her. Uh, She's engaged because he's talking to a Samaritan woman. She's engaged because what are you talking about with this living water stuff? Um, while you're talking to me he gets talking to her that, that uh, why the Jews have told her all her life she has to go to the synagogue to worship but they can't go to the synagogue he's telling her hey time's coming it is now here that you can worship in spirit and truth wherever you're at uh, now she's wondering about that. I, I mean, you, you see a lot of, even two or three different methods here with the Samaritan woman to get her engaged and get her outside of what she expected this this encounter to be. But then when we get down to verse 27, <clears throat> we see the disciples come back in. Just then his disciples came back, they marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So within this, from the scope of what we're looking at today, Stop and think from your Biblical imagination standpoint, your educated Biblical imagination, what have the disciples observed? What have they observed? He's talking to a Samaritan, right? We, We talk about that often. We're so comfortable with it, but they were not. He's talking to a Samaritan, Jewish, People don't talk to Samaritans. She was amazed, he, he's talking to me, I'm a Samaritan. Because again, we've got the half-breed uh, Harry Potter muggle situation here between the Jewish and the Gentile put, put together the lesser Jews, or what they look down upon, there's a lot of prejudice, uh, racism within this. Um, that, that's a challenge and they see him talking to a Samaritan. That's out of their, their norm. They see him talking to a woman, um, again, Culturally, things are different back in that time, and that's not something that would normally happen, let alone during this time of day. As we've talked about before, she is pretty jacked up, unfortunately, from a worldly standpoint in her life, and a lot of the people in the town look down upon her. So she comes when the sun is high to get her water because everybody else goes when it's cool, because she doesn't want to have to see anybody. So you've got that aspect, but on top of that, good Jewish men don't talk to women, even Jewish women, in private, because it becomes scandalous. And so that that's another thing that is why is he talking to her from that standpoint, uh, as you know generally um, i don 't meet with women one on one at the church uh, e- even with the cameras. I do a little bit more net now because we have the camera uh, p- protection for your sake and for mine um, but usually it 's out and about because well, even even if everybody's in good shape, it's, it can become scandalous, and i 've seen churches taken down i've seen pastors taken down in complete innocence because people assumed something was going on that wasn't going on, or there was a false allegation of something was going on that wasn't going on. You just don't generally see men pastors who have a brain taking and meeting one-on-one with, with women, right? Uh, are you laughing because you wonder if I have a brain? Yeah, yeah that's what I thought. Uh, <laughs> but they, I had a joke I didn't take. Okay, I'll just let you know I'm not that punchy yet. Um, in this t- situation, that that's a minor version compared to how they see things. If if a Jewish man is talking to a woman that's not his wife in private, it's scandalous. And you see this in their response. They marveled that he's talking to her, but no one dared say, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? Because you don't do that to your rabbi. You assume the best of your rabbi. But that is something that they they see that he's talking to a woman. Uh, So what are they learning so far between these two things? and racism has no place in the kingdom of God in any way, shape or form. And the ministry we're going to be doing as far as going and saying come and seek or going out and being fisher of men or fisher of women, it has no place. Has no place. The scene that in action, he doesn't have to say it. That Christ is opening up the door better than the culture was at that time to women, and it's not just a man's sport anymore. They see that, the ministry is going to be going beyond. The ministry is going to be taking and putting them in situations to talk to a woman privately, no matter what the culture says, because they need Jesus. Then on top of that, this woman gets so excited about it, she goes back into town and she starts telling everybody that she was trying to avoid about this guy, this Messiah is telling her everything about herself. And all of a sudden you shall be having people come out from the town by ones, by twos, by fives, by tens, saying, what in the world is this woman talking about? And after Jesus has been talking to the disciples about how the harvest is ripe and the, that we need more workers in the field, all of a sudden they see the harvest coming to them. That's what they observe for the first time. Not in hundreds and not in thousands, but in groups of people coming out wanting to hear about this Messiah that she has met at the well because of her testimony. Think about how that changed them as they observed that and realize, holy cow, this is actually starting to, starting to roll. This is really starting to happen. If you switch over to Mark uh, chapter one, and I'm not gonna read this one because this is well covered territory as well, but definitely invite you to, uh, to read it uh, more in depth at home. We'll go back to our previous studies on Mark chapter one. If you go to our YouTube channel, and do a search for uh, knowing God's will, you'll find this sucker pretty quick. We talk about Mark 1 every time we talk about seeking God's uh, will in a situation or God's will in your life because it's so awesome how Jesus does it. Um, but again, we're going to look at it from a different spectrum. We're going to look at it through the eyes of the disciples and what they observe and what they might have learned through it. Uh, this is the, the segment where Jesus has now moved into... Uh, Caponium, where Peter lived, he's moved his headquarters uh, to to this place for his public ministry, Um, and in the beginning of it, verses 21 through 28, as you're looking at it, is going to be Jesus teaching in the synagogue, and Jesus is standing up, he's teaching, and people are marveling at his authority in his teaching. Uh, They're just amazed, they've never heard anybody preach like this before with authority without the wishy-washiness of what the religious leaders were at the time um, and today. But the, uh, wait, did I, I said that aloud, I'm sorry Monica, Uh, I'm punchy, I'm punchy. the, and then, right, then there's a distraction. There's a guy that has a demon taken crying out, I know who you are, you're the son of God. He didn't want people to know that yet. He's like, shut up, cast you out in the name of um, myself. And the demon goes, and everybody's like amazed because he now has authority, not just in his words, but period, over demons. And he casts this demon out from everybody. And it, it then says everybody's amazed at his teaching and that he has authority over demons. And then he leaves. We'll stop there for a second. What did they observe? Jesus has great authority in the Jewish community. He is teaching with that authority. So it is a Jewish uh, spiritual mission. He is teaching, but he also has authority over the demonic. And when he speaks, a life is completely and totally changed for freedom. Now, as we all know, when we come to Jesus, he either, he gives us a new beginning period, and sometimes because of the mistakes before that, we have ripple effects that he walks us through. I'm not saying that that didn't happen for this gentleman, but he now had complete and total freedom, freedom from this demon that had possessed him. What are they learning? This is for the church, this is for the synagogue, it's for the Jewish, and he cast out demons, he has that authority, and he's trusting us with that kind of authority. Then immediately he leaves. And I love that word, That I think John uses it for a reason. Once after this is cast out, he immediately leaves. He goes about a block down the street to Simon Peter's house where he lives. And we talked before, Simon had a big house for the day, and he took care of many, many people in his family beyond what the nat- natural gnome would be, including his mother-in-law. A mother-in-law, when she was in care, would generally go to the oldest son, but uh, has been staying at the, her daughter's house. And uh, we find that when he gets there, that she has a high fever is what the scripture tells us. And what we know from the culture is high fever means uh, the end of hospice, the last stage of hospice, that she is not going to recover from this. A high fever, they didn't have the, the technology we have today. They didn't have the tools we have today. didn't have the medicine we have today. She needs a lot of caregiving. And so she is there, and Jesus goes in and heals her. And I love that John adds the fact that she jumps up and starts serving tea. (laughs) Or whatever she's serving, she starts helping everybody. And if that hasn't taken your breath away, you need to really think about what they saw. They saw synagogue, and then they saw home. And I'm convinced that we have our fullness of Christian community and church when we have it in formal worship in the local body church and in each other's homes. Acts 2 said they met daily, where? In the synagogue, in each other's homes. we mil- made for formal worship, we're made for relational worship, both, together. And they saw that in one afternoon. And so it's not just for the show on sad- Saturday, uh, Saturdays for them, not just for the show on Saturdays. It's something that's going to impact every area of their life. And then we go back to the freedom aspect of things, where she is healed when she was on her deathbed. In other words, if you have ever been in a boat like what Chris was talking about earlier, where you're a caregiver of someone who is needing constant care in the home for months or maybe a couple years, and they're on a slow burn, then you kind of get a little bit of an understanding of what they actually had going on there. And so even in our case, um, when my mom passed, my dad, who was a caregiver, a lot of things changed very quickly. You have to kind of redefine yourself. Uh, what does life mean now? When uh, my, my father-in-law, Jenny's dad, passed away at Christmas, uh, Nancy was a constant caregiver and then he passed. What now? Everything, just in a moment, everything you defined yourself off of for the last three or four years has changed. She went from being the one needing constant care to jumping up and giving everybody tea it's an immediate situation. That just like the man who was demonically possessed, he changes things. They see this, and they're a part of this. And then the next day when you get down to like uh, 35 through 39 um, is my favorite part because I am I'm confident. This is, again, Tom commentary. You're stuck with the scripture, uh, but my thoughts, you can pick or choose, uh, that they are pumped that they have signed on with the right guy, that everybody in that entire town comes out to Peter's house by that night, taking and being amazed at him kicking out demons and healing people, that they just built the largest church in the shortest amount of time of all history, and they're ready for round two, and Jesus uh, is not to be found. And so they go, and they try to find him, and they find that he got up before everybody else, and he went out and he prayed, talked to his father, came back and said, you know what, we need to leave this not found in any leadership book you're ever going to find at Barnes and Noble, if they even have books anymore. Is Barnes and Noble still around? It's not, not there. But he had talked to his father, and while it was exciting, and he loved bringing freedom into people's lives in different ways, they were saying that they were amazed by his healing and demon, being cast out demons, but no longer said they were amazed at his teaching. And he said, I'm here to teach. That's, that's what my father called me to do. I can't do that here right now. So let's go to some other towns. Let's go teach other, other things. What did they observe? What did they deserve? That Jesus did the extra to follow Jesus instead of just what the norm was. We can think things are very, very successful and God's going, ah, oh, you're missing it. it's over here. You're missing it. it's over here. This is, um, again, a couple of people were talking to me about the book books and where they're at and stuff, and I love that my wife talked, cause now it seems like I'm teasing her and not you guys. Um, but guilt trip number one of three. No. Um, you got broad shoulders? <laughs> She does give me piggyback rides around the backyard. Um, It's quite magnificent, the wind going through my hair, Um, going through my beard. What's that, honey? That's just for us? You need to give me a list before I get up here, you need to give me a list. Um, But I fully get it. Especially if you're not in the, in the custom of being in the scripture on a daily basis and then all of a sudden you have this thing that the church is doing together. Uh, that How hard it can be to bring something in. But I'll, I'll tell you this, and this will be something that will help you go from chair two to chair three. Um, I was a, a, a spirited conversation with somebody. This was about uh, 14 years ago. And they were trying to make a point, and they made a fantastic point It just wasn't for their side of the conversation. But I still hold on to it, and they just at one point just said, you know what, you make time for what you want to do. You make time for what you want to do. I'm like, yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, if I wanted to be, really wanted to be healthier, I would make time for exercise. But, uh, but I always say I'm too busy. And it's really not true. We can be busy, but that, that, that's not true. We make time for what we want to do. Jesus got up early before anybody else went outside and said, Daddy, I need your advice. I I was talking to somebody not too long ago, and again, I understand how hard it is to get into a new habit, uh, but somebody was telling me, like, yeah, I'm I'm like a week behind in the book, Uh, I've just been so swamped, I just don't have time. And I'm like, I I understand, it's a struggle, I get it. I just want to encourage you in it. And uh, then, like, about 20 minutes later in the same conversation, they're like, yeah, yesterday I just didn't feel like doing nothing, so I just laid on the couch watching Netflix for uh, five hours. (laughs) We think that way, don't we? We do that. We do that. Here Jesus is showing them what it looks like to do, make time for what you really want to do. And it changed their entire thing. They saw that he, he was following God, not following the leadership books. They saw that he was refocused, that he was, had directions, that he had um, teaching. That was, was his primary goal. And so he went from what his daddy had told him and stripped everything else away. And they're learning how to do this too through observation through observation. So last one I'll give you, and then I'll kind of bring the points together. Luke 8. Go to Luke 8. That's my fav- favorite one um, out of the ones. doesn't have as much meat to it, but I, I really like how Jesus works. A, chapter 1. We'll call this one, Bring in the Ladies. Verse 1. Soon afterward, Jesus went on through the cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some woman who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. And Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager. And Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. So sure a paragraph, few things have changed. Like when we were doing the last journey to Jerusalem, and we saw the changes uh, in Jesus' teaching from when he had plenty, much time and then to his final journey, he got a little bit more intense, changed his, uh, his, his, his methods a little bit when he knew this is my last time I'm going to be seeing people in these regions. Uh, same thing here. We see that it continues to grow. Now we see great crowds, not 5, 10, 20. This is further on down the road. So it's been growing from that aspect of interest, uh, and they've been growing with it. Um, we also see enough change, which is the ladies. We've got the ladies in the house here that are being a part of this. And when you stop and look at it, again, what are the other disciples observing about that? He's opening the door to the ladies, not just to the Samaritans, not just to be able to talk to them in private, but they're now involved. They're involved. There were some struggles, as you look like in Corinthians, where um, uh, Paul was taken and saying, uh, shut the ladies up. You remember that poetic scripture, don't let the ladies teach type thing? Um, they were in a culture where women finally had a voice because of Jesus opening the door, but they didn't have the same education as the men. And so a lot of their theology was, it seems to me that, which always usually leads to bad theology, and they were having issues from that. Uh, I personally believe, and again, you don't have to agree with me on this at all, but it had to do with their education at that point because they didn't have the same education as the boys because of the culture that they were in. Uh, that's the only way it makes sense to me that he celebrates a female deaconess later in other letters, a husband and wife team with the home church in other letters and other ladies as well. Um, so that that's from my understanding. And Here we, we see these ladies are with them and we know from the context and the, the fullness of the scripture that they were involved in Jesus' ministry as well. Um, we also have... Um, with the Harmony of the Gospels that, uh, and this one is the one that cracks me up, is Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager. Herod's King Herod, who has nothing to do with Jesus, only wants to see his magic show. Um, they're a complete conflict with each other. Jewish people do not like him in any way, shape, or form. And his right-hand man's wife shows up, and she's a financial supporter of Jesus's ministry. A lot of people, I think, think that Jesus got some kind of God credit card with no limit on it, and he never needed to worry about finances. There's financial supporters according to the scripture. That's why Judas was the treasurer, because they too had financial situations, and his enemy's best guy's wife said, here's our credit card, here's us. She was, was one of three uh, supporters mentioned in the scripture, all of them, all of them women. Um, so, I think that's interesting as well, and they see this. We see that provision comes from weird places, not the places we expect. I was just doing premarital counseling with a cus- uh, couple. They're younger. Uh, he has the attitude that I need to be making more money than my wife because I'm supposed to be the provider. <laughs> I was like, brother, guess what? God's gonna mess with you on that somewhere. Somewhere. Because that's how I was raised too in the first 12 years of my marriage. I completely sponged it off of her because I was doing ministry. I was paying you a hundred bucks a week and now we've been switching back and forth. You don't, don't define how God's gonna provide for you. Don't be lazy, but don't define how God's going to move for you. They're learning this, that there's provisions coming from, from weird places. Um, they're seeing new life, even for the people that would be as, uh, assumed as their enemies, testimonies. Mary's freedom with seven demons kicked out is incredible, to see who every day is a testimony. Um, They see support across those lines, they see the crowds, once again, the harvest is ripe ripe and it needs more workers. They're seeing it in action, over and over and over again, observational learning. So let's talk a little bit about observational learning and what it is and how that impacts our lives today. But at least it's us we have a definition. Ta-da! There it is. It's the process of learning by watching the behavior of others. It is often uh, called shaping or modeling. It's the most common in children as they imitate the behavior of adults. And I like the last line better because who are we supposed to be more like? The kids up here trying to put a little extra Jesus jump in it, right? We're we're supposed to be observers. We're not supposed to be people thinking we got it all together and, and, and mess with those boundaries. So with that in mind, Uh, Let's go to the next slide. I I wanted to kind of dig into that a little bit more of how does that work? How can I be intentional about my observational learning? Um, The first step is attention. First step is attention. Observers can't learn without paying attention. The process is impacted by how you identify with the model that you're observing. Have you ever heard anybody talk about that there's a difference between hearing and listening, right? Mm -hmm. There's just a difference between the two. Um, Men. Mm We generally do okay at hearing our wives talk about their days, but do we really listen? Is the whole other thing that starts the fights. Amanda, don't start a of fight. You guys were fighting last week, huh? He agreed. There's a difference. There's a difference, and I'm perfect at it, aren't I, honey? Oh, with every single detail. There's a difference. Same thing here, you can see things all freaking day long as not meaning that you're paying attention to it. You could have read those scriptures over and over again and not looked at it from a standpoint like, ah, I wonder what that means in my life, observing that. How how does that impact my life? We have to pay attention. It's a conscious choice that we make to get up early and go out and talk to God. It's It's a conscious early for us to take and watch those that are in our lives that God is having model for us. Uh, so that's the first step, we have to choose to pay attention, where we're paying attention, where we're putting that focus. We can't pay attention to everything, so how about dialing it down a little bit on the things of the world, and putting it on the things that actually builds us up. Uh, retention is the next step. Uh, retention, not just see, but remember, uh, depends on the observer's skill to take lessons in an easy-to-remember form, and mentally and physically we host the model's actions. That, that would be retention. Um, it, it's interesting because it's kind of a twofold. Uh, I remember some old Baptist preacher when I was a kid was talking about uh, like people not remembering last, last week's sermon um, and, and somebody was saying they feel bad about it and he's like, I don't, what you have for dinner last week on Sunday? I don't remember what I had for dinner but you're still healthy, right? You're still nourished, you're taking it in. You know, that type of thing. Te- and I think that mentality is true to a certain extent. Retention is taking and not memorizing every sermon, but wherever you're finding your models to be able to grow in this four-chair process, is that you're taking what they are doing or what they are saying and processing it in such a way that it makes sense to you. And like, I've I've had people say to me in sermons like, "Um, hey, when you said this, this, and this, I made a big difference. And I've, I've stopped counting how many times this happens. I never said this, this, and this. Back in the early days, I'd go back to the video, like, when in the world did I say this, this, and this? And I did, not it's just how the Holy Spirit works. It doesn't matter what I say, but what you take on paying attention to, and what the Spirit's having you retained, then start practicing it. That's the production part of it. That's when things are really taking root, instead of just being a chair two that's going through the, through the motions. Uh, production observers must grow in reproducing the model's actions. Some will be immediate, some will be a committed practice. Uh, in other words, if you might um, observe something, say, you know what, man, the Holy Spirit just got me with that. And it changes everything immediately. Uh, other things, I got that, and you will have to practice it and work on it until it becomes part of your norm. Um, I would put it in the same ballpark of uh, Has anybody ever gone to a soak delay or watched one on TV? Soak delay? You, uncultured group. No, what? Yeah, watch it, watch it, watch it. Right. I, I like silk delays. I like the different things that they have. I've always liked the juggling guy, whatever. Katie, calm down. <laughs> what, what, why? What, did, what were you we saying? Nothing. Oh, come on. Cirque Soleil. Oh, then I don't care. Okay, anyways. <laughs> I always like the juggler, and it's inc- crazy what they can do, what they can do with that. Um, but if I said, I want to do that and go home, it's not going to look the same, especially me and those tights. It's not going to look the same <laughs> as what you got took to du Soleil. But if I want to commit several years to it we have to reproduce, we have to continue to produce to be able to make it part of our nature. And the last one is motivation. As those will only reproduce if they have a motivation to do so. Um, and this is really the difference between people becoming disciples or those who stay in chair two or those who walk away. Uh, it really depends on our attitude of what it, what it is. Again, motivation, Jenny was talking about these books, What's your motivation to be part of this? Um, Is it because you pastors and the elders said to? Is it you don't like workbooks or you don't want to do it? Is it uh, I don't need you telling me to read these Bible verses? I'm fine with my walk with Jesus. Uh, Thankfully, we don't have a lot of that in our church, but but it's a natural response sometimes. Um, But oftentimes it ends up, and forgive me for this, because I know this will come off a little confrontational, uh, that can also come off very tier two of, mom, I don't want you to help me to how I'm going to dress, and you're not going to put out my clothes, and I can dress myself, and I am fine with what I am doing. And then you, that five-year-old comes out with the most neon-collared, mismatched, <laughs> unfitting, <laughs> imaginative outfit you have ever seen and, um, because they haven't learned yet. And they're cute, but if they do that their whole life, then it becomes a problem, you know, those type of things. So what's your motivation? Becomes part of it. So let me just bring it to these two things. Uh, The first question is going to be this. Uh, Who are you observing? Because this is something that you choose. This is something that you have to be mindful about if you're going to take and be attentive on it. Who are you observing and learning from? If you're not in the scripture, you're not learning God. You're not learning Jesus. That's got to be the main one. But after that, there are all people that God puts in our license further down the chairs than us. So who do you choose to follow? You have to be mindful of who your pastor is. You have to be mindful of who your elders are. You have to be mindful of who your mentors are, and you should have mentors. And it's not just like with my mom and dad. You know they mean everything to me, and I've learned so much from them. And some of that's just very natural of being their kid. But I can tell you the things I learned specifically as my father was a mentor to me, as my mother was a mentor to me. It's a different level than just, oh yeah, I've got good memories. We have to choose those things. If I'm not a good mentor, leave. If the elders are not solid elders, leave. And that primordial counseling like I was talking about, um, with with this young couple, he would say it's important to be part of a church if the church is missional, if they are actually doing the work of the Great Commission. I said, great, but if you're in a church that's not, have a conversation with them. Maybe you'll be the bridge to get them straightened out, or maybe they'll give you information that'll straighten you out. But if they decide they're not going to be missional, leave. Because you have to be mindful of who your community is and who your mentors are. But if they are your mentors and they are your community, lean into it. Yeah, it has to be a choice. It has to be something that that makes a difference. So the first question becomes, who are you observing? And making sure that you are observing, because a lot of us can go through a lot of days without observing nothing. And the second one's going to be, what are others seeing and learning when they observe you? What are people learning and seeing when they observe you? Your coworkers, your school friends, uh, the people you hang out with, your church family sometimes it 's easier to hide in church family and pretend like you got it all together, whether you not do that around here because uh, we don 't, whether um, to be much more open, but certainly your children. if you look good in church and home is a train wreck, what are you doing? We have to also mindfully choose how we are going to teach others through observation as well so those are the two what what are you observing and what are others taking in and observing in you is going to be the big thing that we have within this particular area of things.
0: If you were blessed by today's teaching, we hope you return for our next podcast, or better yet, stop by the Shepherds Fellowship any Sunday morning to join us live. You can learn more about the church by calling 740-382-3500, or check us out online by going to tsflife.com. That's tsflife.com. You can also support the ministry of TSF Life by donating at our church website or sending support to the Shepherds Fellowship, 1647 Marion Marysville Road, Marion, Ohio, 43302. Thank you for spending your time with us today, and we look forward to seeing you soon. Be blessed.